1: The bloodlines of the world run in my veins because I offered freedom to the oppressed. I am many things and many people. I am the nation. I am 200 million living souls and the ghost of millions who have lived and died for me. I am Nathan Hale and Paul Revere. I stood at Lexington and fired the shockers around the world. I'm Washington, Jefferson, Patrick Henry. I'm John Paul Jones, the Green Mountain, David Crocker
0: coming to you from the d tom studios in the free state of florida sponsored by makers mark bourbon this is don't tread on america
1: your host,
0: Don Q. How's everybody doing out there? Today is April 2nd, 2023. How, how how bad doing? How doing? How's everybody doing out there today? Like I said, it's April 2nd, 2023, Sunday. How's everybody doing? Hope you are having a splendiferous weekend. And uh You're drinking plenty of life water. It's a shot back to International Whiskey Day. <clears throat> Alright. What we are going to do. Okay, so, uh, not that you realize this, but I'm on vacation right now. I'm coming to you from the nether regions of the D-Tom Studios, but I'm actually not here. It's weird. At any rate. I'm going to start a series uh, covering the bloodlines of the Illuminati, the 13 families. Now, I did a show, one show. I did the, um the uh, one people the main the main characters right the Rothschild family so I did them uh, last year actually March 27th a year ago a little more than a year ago and I never really followed up I did a I did a episode on the um, the thing man with the people I can't think of what's called offhand but the uh, so there's 13 families essentially and there's there's other entities but nonetheless what i'm going to do is there's 13 bloodlines i did the Rothschilds i'm going to do these in alphabetical order they're not going to be in any order of significance um i did the Rothschilds a year ago because that's like the the name everybody knows and there's going to be a name or two in in this group that you're going to know oh i've heard of them before um but why have you heard of them before and there's going to be some names that you've probably never heard of before until we start talking about them, necessarily. And uh, I'm going to have to get my music going because, you know, i got fighter jets flying over top of me, so I'm trying to drown them out. At any rate, um, so the 13 bloodlines, the 13 families, I should say, are the Astor family, the Bundy family, the Collins family, the DuPont family, the Freeman family, the Kennedy family, the Lee family, the Onassis family, the Reynolds family, the Rockefeller family, the Rothschild family, the Russell family, and the Van Dyne family. So, some of those names you've probably heard before, and it's interesting seeing some of those names in association with other names, Kennedy and Onassis, for example, and we'll get into that when we get to them. Today, we're going to cover the, the Astor family. Like I said, we're just going to go in alphabetical order. Some shows might be a little bit longer than others, um, depending on the content. I will try to keep the shows around an hour, give or take. So, with that being said, I don't want to bore you guys too much with me babbling. I'm going to mute this music because we're going to have a little intro here uh, with President Kennedy.
1: The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it and there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment that i do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control and no official of my administration whether his rank is high or low civilian or military should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned. No rumor is printed. No secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program. For from that scrutiny comes understanding. And from that understanding comes support or opposition. And both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. For I have complete confidence in the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors, for as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy and that is why our press was protected by the first amendment the only business in america specifically protected by the constitution not primarily to amuse and entertain not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental not to simply give the public what it wants but to inform to arouse to reflect to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission And it means finally that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help man will be what he was born to be free and independent so it's
0: interesting you know how Kennedy would say those words about secret societies considering who his family is and uh, and what and we'll get into Kennedy <coughs> excuse me down the road so uh, let me just adjust my headphones here make sure we're good to go all right so, what we're going to start with today is the Aster bloodline. So, the original founder of the Astor fortune was John Jacob Jingleheimer. Sch- oh, no, that was a song. John Jacob Astor. He was alive from 1763 to 1848. He was born in Waldorf Duchy of Baden in Germany of a Jewish bloodline. The Jewish origins have been hidden in quite a number of various... God bless. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Jesus Christ. Can you hear that? I wonder if you can hear that. It's blue angels. Anyway, uh, Jewish origins have been hidden in quite a number of various ideas of the Astor's heritage have been put into circulation by the Astors. John Jacob Asdor was a butcher in Waldorf. In 1784, he came to America after a stopover in London, England. Although the story is that he came to America penniless. And that and that might be true, he soon joined the Masonic Lodge. And within two to three years, had became the master of the Holland Lodge Number no. 8 in New York City that particular Lodge is prominent Lodge in that many of its members have good connection to the Illuminati elite. An example of just one Lodge number 8 member is um, Archibald Russell from the Russell family whose father was president of the real hotbed of uh, Illuminati I- action for many years the Royal Society of Edinburgh. By 1788 we'll get into Russell he's R so that's going to be down the road a little bit. By 1788, um, Astor was a master mason at Lodge Number no. 8. This is rather interesting considering Astor could not speak English when he arrived to America and supposedly was very poor. John Jacob Astor was very uh, famous for being cold-hearted, antisocial, a man who didn't give charm, let me turn that down a little bit, charm, wit, or grace. Now this quote comes from a relative of the DuPont family, another name on the list, who wrote a sympathetic biography entitled The Astor Family. If this man lacked social graces and was so cold and was so poor during his first years in the U.S., why did he rise to such prominence in Freemasonry? Certainly not because of his social graces. For instance, one time later in life, a meal was given for the elites, when his hands got dirty at the table, he reached over and used the shirt of the man beside him to wipe his hands. The original financial break came by carrying out a series of shady and crooked real estate deals in the, uh, in the New York City area. The next break came when two men, who are now known to have been in the Illuminati, gave John Jacob Astor a special government privilege. The two men were President Jefferson and Secretary Gatlin, both Illuminati members. Um, The United States government had placed an embargo on US ships um, from sailing with goods in 1807, but Astor got special permission from these two men for a ship to sail with its cargo. His ship sailed and made close to $200,000 profit in that day's money, Astor strangely profited greatly from the War of 1812, which crippled most other American shippers. Astor, who worked together with George Clinton, not George Clinton from the Parliament Funkadelic, but George Clinton, <laughs> he was another member of the Illuminati, on land deals. Even at the period in history, British intelligence worked with the committee of 300, and for the 13 top families, it is interesting then that John Coleman, who had access to intelligence agents, agent uh, secret documents, discovered the original. I swear it seems like that music just gets a little bit louder. Here comes another plane. Original John J. Astor was also British secret agent. The 13 families have very intimate roles with the American and British intelligence cults. Now, another quick side note. I also did a show on the Committee of 300, so if you're so inclined, go look that up and, and listen to that. Prior to 1870, John Jacob Astor entered the fur trade and remained the biggest player in the fur trade till he got out in 1834. Over the years, he had managed to build a monopoly. How he managed to push everyone else out is a good question. Now, bear in mind... White people had been trapping furs in the new world for several uh, centuries, and the Indians, for who knows how long then this guy Astor comes along and in a few years totally owns the whole industry and again, this could only have happened because of the occult power of, of the Astor family gave him that right now obviously, others in the committee of 300 had to step aside if this If his um, position in the hierarchy had not given Astor the right, believe me, the other families originally controlled the fur trade would have gotten rid of Astor. One result of his fur company was that Astoria, Oregon was created. Today, perhaps, in honor of the family that originally took interest in it, Astoria is a real hotbed for the secret satanic covens in Oregon. John Jacob Astor... Did not or did have a few helpful connections. Three of his relatives were captains on clipper ships. He had connections in London to the Backhouse family. He married a Todd, a family frequently associated with Satanism. His Todd, or I mean, sorry, his wife, a Todd, was also connected with the influence uh, Brevort family. And finally, for some reason, John Jacob Astor was also on good relations with politicians of the day perhaps because uh, most of them were freemasons quick side note i don't know now this is the movie the i shouldn't say movie nerd but the the 80s movie nerd me you guys recall a movie with uh Schwarzenegger, right it's called kindergarten cop do you know where that movie took place astoria oregon the hotbed of, hot of satanic Covens in Oregon. I just, when I was reading this and going through this, that stuck out in my mind because, you know, you remember, surely you've seen Kindergarten cobra. It's not a tumor, <laughs> right? Girls have a vagina and boys have a penis, right? And of course, that movie's been banned now because of that line alone. No. But um, I just found that interesting. Um, but nonetheless, and also you notice his wife was a Todd, do you can you recall another president that married a Todd? Think about it. Okay, for a few years, John Jacob Astor had participated in the opium trade, but in 1818, he publicly quit running. Uh, he publicly quit running opium to China. So, real quick. So, what I'm hearing is that this dude was a butcher in Germany, came to America, and uh, became. A fur trader, trapper, trader, whatever, and then also a drug dealer. Cool, 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 cool. So um, John Coleman, in his good book, The Conspirator's Hierarchy, the story of the Committee of 300, page 131 notes, John Jacob Astor made a huge fortune out of the China opium trade. It was the Committee of 300 who chose who would allow to participate in the fabulously lucrative Chinese opium trade. Through its monop- monopolistic BEIC, the beneficiaries of their egress igri- um, remained uh, forever wedded to the Committee of 300. Interestingly, another top 13 family, the Russells, was also one of the lucky ones when a slice of Chinese opium trade. <clears throat> it is a It is clear repeatedly from history that Astor's was privy to inside information in the government and maintained his own courier system. John Jacob Astor bought up large amounts of land in New York, which land greatly increased in value. The financial panic of 1837 allowed him to foreclose on a number of mortgages. John Jacob Astor's wealth continued to skyrocket as one biography said, when it became a question of principle versus profit, Astor was a practical man. Put simply, he had no scruples. Astor had a, relation, a reputation of being a ruthless landlord. He also had the reputation of not paying his legitimate debts. Astor became a banker and sat on the board of five directors in the national bank that Hamilton had created for the U.S. government called the Bank of the United States. Astor owned a large block of stock in that Bank of the United States. Astor was also fairly active during the life as a Freemason, holding several more key positions in secret lodge life. John Jacob Astor was the richest man in the United States. <clears throat> so, the Bank of the United States became the Bank of America. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt ran it all. No, I'm joking. That's John Jingleheimer. Oh. I, every time I read that, I, I want to think of that song. But nonetheless, here's a guy. It's kind of interesting how history repeats itself. What do we have going on nowadays with Chinese trade and, and you know, might be drugs, might not be drugs. It might be oil, might not be oil. And uh, it's just interesting um, to see how these things kind of come back around. Um. So um, Myers Gustafus uh, History of Great Fortunes In uh, London Stationers Hall 1909 Page 147 said <coughs> Statistics issued in the 1844 of manufacturers in the United States Showed a total gross amount of 300, 307,196,000 Invested in Astor's wealth Then was 115th of the whole amount invested throughout the territory of the United States. Is having 115th of the American money. I gotta write this down. um, American money is invested, not rich. John Jacob Astor's descendants had a penance for secrecy and set up things to rule from behind the scenes, in contrast to some of the. Other top families, the Astors preferred not to sit on boards of corporations they controlled in 1890. A real estate expert calculated the Astors owned one twentieth of the New York City real estate. After making their fortunes while residing in the New York area, the Astors, by large, have all gone to England. They still wield great financial power in the United States through proxies. Forum magazine, November 1889, commented, that authorities estimated Astors were worth $300,000, but that the figure had been underestimated. Today, my estimate of the Astors is that the, they were worth about $40 billion. One of the many foundations that the Astors created was the Vincent Astor Foundation, which is controlled from England by the Astors and has had a range of $100 million in tax exempts. The Vincent Astor Foundation was typically given to Catholic and Episcopalian needs, among other things. They are also give money to agencies opposed to private ownership of guns. They give money to the New York Public Library, and imagine how many how much influence that gives them. When the library was receiving help for general support, a 1971 Foundation Directory stated that V.A. Astor Foundation had its present emphasis on preventing juvenile delinquency. Why don't trust the Astors in helping out with law enforcement? The William Waldorf Foundation states that the purpose of the promotion of mutual understanding of the diffusion of knowledge and culture among the United States and its dominions, colonies, and countries of the British Commonwealth. This sounds very familiar to the public statement Of purpose that uh, Secret Pilgrim Society has given out to those who need something about them. Assets for the foundation were a mere sixty-four thousand. V- Vincent Astor, now deceased, was a member of the Forty-One Private Club. To give an idea of just how much power just one of the many Astor men wielded, some of the business Vincent was involved in included. So he was. I'm gonna have to get a drink here. Hold on. <sighs> It's a lot of talking. Sorry. So he was the director of American Express. The director of American. Or I'm sorry. Atlantic Fruit and Sugar Company. He was the director of the Manhattan Bank. of the, I'm sorry. Chase Manhattan Bank of the Rockefellers. He was the director. Of City and Suburban Homes. Director of Classical Cinematography Corporation. Director of Cuban Dominican Sugar. Director of Great. Northern Railroad, director of, of Illinois Central Railroad, director of Intermercantile Marine Company, director of National Park Bank of New York, director of New York County Trust, director of weekly publications including, um Inc., I should say, director of Western Union Telegraph and uh, Zoological Society Advisors to Banker's Trust of New York member American Museum of Natural History, member of the National Institute of Society or Social Sciences. So he had his hands in a lot of the, the mix. So just like the, Ru- uh, the Rudolphs, just like the Rothschilds, DuPonts, and Rockefellers, the Astors always set one of their Aster males as the head of the entire family. This headship is passed down As a bright light, uh, uh, bright—I cannot talk—a birthright within the different branches of the family. Just as any king passes his throne, on the corner of 33rd Street and Fifth Avenue, a site later became um, the site of the Empire State Building. The original Waldorf Astoria uh, Hotel was built by William Waldorf. The hotel opened in March of of 1893. It is described as the ultimate. In snob appeal, later two Astor's cousins, two Astor cousins, built the Astoria, another one even taller, another even taller elite hotel in New York, which opened in 1897. Of course, like many of the other elite families, the Astors have been a <clears throat> lost my part. The Astors have uh, their main property to give away in a relax. in 1894, John Jacob wrote a novel. A Journey in Other Worlds, where he describes a society which operates on the idea of conserving energy. Strange how the elites like to promote conserving among us cattle in the late uh, 1800s. The Illuminati began to configure its outward face. The higher levels started creating innocence-sounding cover organizations to hide their meeting behind... In 1901, the Astors contributed toward the creation of the Pilgrim Society, which was a cover organization for American and Britain Six Degrees, Princes of the Illuminati. I believe at least five Astors are now members of the Pilgrim Society. The Pilgrims had recently included David Astor, John Jacob Astor Eighth, William Waldorf Astor Third, and during the 1970s, Baron Astor of, he- of Hever, was a president of the London branch of Pilgrims. This implies that the Astor of Hever was the next level up to the chain of the command. The Astors also have been very prominent in the group, which is Britain's equivalent to the Skull and Bone Society. In Britain, the Astor, along with about 20 other families, dominate the group. Just as certain families like the Whitneys in the U.S. helped dominate the order of the Skull and Bones, again, as was earlier pointed out, the key to understanding Satanism in the bloodlines. In 1910, the muscle and bones branch of the Illuminati reconfigured themselves with the creation of the roundtable groups in 1910. The Astors were part of the financial backers behind the roundtable groups, um, along with Abe Bailey, Rhodes, and Milner were key players in setting up the society of the elect. A super-secret Top Circle of Illuminati Rhodes Trust, in part helped by um, helped by the Astors, helped finance the Rhodes Scholarship System. Rhodes is a very high-ranking Freemason, one the Masonic Claptrap as part of the variations of new groups. But Milner and Brett did away with the Masonic rituals and costumes. But Milner and Brett did away... <clears throat> why, why did I read that twice? Sorry. So interesting side note here. So the uh, Rhodes Scholar. Now, I don't have a list, but I can think of a few key people that have been Rhodes Scholars—presidents, senators, Congress people. So it is interesting to know that it might—you know—some of these Rhodes Scholar people, not not everyone, but some of them, were probably wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know. In 1919, the Royal Institute of International Affairs was created, and the Astors were f- major financial backers of the RIIA, which functions as the four degrees cover of the Illuminati. For those who are at the top of this, the RIIA is the British equivalent to the Council of Foreign Affairs, which uh, takes a major role in policymaking process. In the U.S., Wardoff Astoria was appointed to the R.I.I.A. Just above the C-F-R-I-A, C.F.R.R.I.I.A. and roundtable groups were initially named by Cecil Rhodes as the Association of Helpers. Cecil Rhodes set up the Rhodes Scholarship to recruit and bring men from several nations to Oxford to be initiated into the Illuminati and learn about how to bring <laughs> in a one-world government. I'm going to stop right there. So if you think about it, the last president that I can think of off the top of my head, who won the Rhodes Scholarship and went to Oxford, was who? Bill Clinton. Hey, what did I do now? How, now Clinton, now George Clinton, you heard the name George Clinton, I'm not, I don't know that there's any relation there. I haven't dug into that aspect of it. But, for the most part, whenever, if you guys are old enough to remember Bill Clinton running for president, being president, he's not, so it would appear, kind of like Obama, he's not one of those names. He's not a Bush, he's not a, you know, he's not a Kennedy, he's not, you know what I'm saying? But it kind of makes you wonder if Bill Clinton, his family lineage... Has something to do with one of these families. And we're going to get into that later. Because I'm going to make a connection. I'm not going to do it right now. But you're going to see connections to presidents. That might not be one of these 13 names. But how they have connections to these 13 families. It's very interesting as you dig into this stuff. And you understand that these awards are given to certain people. And you're talking about stuff that started back in the 1800s, early 1900s, for what? To get, you know, how to say it here, young men to. Uh, so where was it at? To, to, to go to Oxford, to be initiated to Illuminati and learn about how to bring a one-world government, right? Now you're talking a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago. So. The initial section into the Rhodes program, its degree of the Illuminati, is equivalent to the initiation into the Skull and Bones. I'm going to skip that. So Rhodes Scholars frequently went to the Clivand estate. By looking at a genealogy chart, you can see how the family in London broke up into two powerful segments. One part centered... Around the Cleve, Clevedon estate, another group became barons the Astor of Heaver, or the Heaver Astors in short. William Waldorf Astor owned the Paul, Paul Paul Mall Gazette, The Observer, and the Paul Mall Magazine. The London Times was largely controlled by the Astors. Since 1922, they have owned a major source of British news. The DuPonts and the Rockefellers also have some major business where they, too, own uh, blatant large holdings. However, most of the wealth of the top 13 families is hidden so that, so that the ties to who owns it are difficult to track. Hoyt Amidon has been a proxy for Vincent Astor and other Astors. The Astor family also uses Owen Lattimore. As their proxy for opium trades, who in turn uses Laura Spellman, who was funded by the Institute of the Pacific Relations. So, so you notice you have the Rhodes Scholars, Oxford, that's in England, and then Skull and Bones, right? That was in Yale, I believe. So, and you can can you can make connections. So the Russells. To the uh, Skull and Bones The Astors Among some To the um, Rhodes, Rhodes Scholar in Oxford University We think of this stuff and you hear Oh so and so won a Rhodes Scholar It's going to make you think in the future Whenever you hear So and so won a Rhodes Scholar You're going to think "Hmm, What did that person do What, what did they have to do And now that they've done that, what do they have to do? You know? The IPR was a group that supervised Illuminati's decisions to allow Red China to share their opium trade. The puppet strings behind world events may not be seen by the public. But if we trace the origins of several big events, we see the asters helping pull strings. The IPR helped lay the groundwork for the Pearl Harbor attack. The Astors also were behind the appeasement policy in Europe, which allowed Hitler to become a threat. The Astors were also involved in the temperance movement against alcoholic drink, which begun the Women's Christian Temperance Union. You know what, before I read on, it sounds like these damn Astors were punks. Like, they didn't want you to own guns, they didn't want you to drink, and they were, like, starting wars. Not, not, not physically starting wars, but kind of getting other people riled up to start wars. The temperance movement was an elite create created movement just like today. We have big issues like apartheid, which are made up uh, by them to keep us busy. Joseph Kennedy and Anasus, two of the other top 13 families, got rich off of temperance movements by bootlegging. So many people have exposed the temperance moving movement. And that is not pertinent to cover it here. It's, it's not working out. But, you know, it's interesting. You have Aster, Opium Trades. You got all these people. They're all doing illegal things for ill-gotten gains. But then they don't want you to drink or have guns. And and we're talking... These are events. This isn't yesterday. This wasn't two weeks ago. This is 100-plus years ago when these families were at their strength. You know... Some of these families date back. If you listen to the the Rothschilds one. I mean they date back to the 1600s. John Jacob Astor the first one. Born in the middle of the 1700s. He gained his wealth. In the early 1800s. These families came to power. In the 1800s. And there's still strength. And like I said, those 13 names I named, you might know two or three of them, realistically. I mean, maybe maybe four. Maybe maybe 13. No. But in all honesty, you've heard, obviously, you've heard Kennedy's. You may recall Why I've heard that somewhere. Where did I hear that? You've heard of Rothschild's. You've heard of, Ro- of Rockefeller. You know what I'm saying? You've heard of these names. But you don't really think about it. It's going to get interesting. Like, Aster is a name that you probably don't even know. Now that I've started talking about them, Waldorf, Astoria, Astoria, Oregon, you probably, okay, I did not know those connected, but now you do. It's almost it's almost scary, the names that you don't know versus the names you do know, right? And like they said, they don't like to put their people on the heads of boards and then stuff like that. They have proxies to do all the work for them. So, um, today's equivalent of the temperance movement is the drug war. Colonel Jack Astor, one of the world's most powerful men, was among those who went down with the Titanic. To his honor, he didn't have to sacrifice his life, but he did. If he had been a scoundrel, he could have uh, chased a woman and her child from some lifeboat. Many sermons have been preached on the significance of the Titanic. And I personally am begging to feel that God laid, laid it on his hearts of so many of his ministers to understand that the Titanic was a judgment upon the pride of the world. More specifically, it was warming to the New World Order's elite. It was a warning, I should say. <laughs> Another Illuminati invention was communism. This has been roughly documented, and I don't know why I have to state it here, except that there are still people who haven't taken the time to study it. James Billington's book, The Fire in the Minds of Men, a very scholarly work, The Occult Theocracy, are some good starting points to study this. The Fabian Society was also connected to the Illuminati. For instance, the Illuminati Prince, Professor George Edward Gordon, uh, Catlin, Pilgrim Society member was the member of the Fabian Society Executive Committee. The Fabian logo is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Fabian, like H.G. Wells, who wrote so eloquently of the New World Order with such books as The New World Order, I mean, he's really hiding it there, right? A modern utopia. The open conspiracy blueprints for a world revolution was a wolf in sheep's clothing. H.G. Wells made, made the New World Order something that sounded advantageous to everyone. A utopia of sorts. This is not what it will be. During the 1930s, the, the Fabian Society created the Political and Economic Planning Group. Mason Viscount Waldorf Astorius was a leader of the PEP, a confidential program that the PEP created. And implemented through the British government was later described in a book of Principles of Economic Planning in 1935. The book doesn't explain why it covered why its cover has a abstinence, Masonic Square, and a compass displayed on its cover. George Berhard Shaw, who was communist and Fabian socialist, was the best friend of Lady Nance Astor, who became the first woman member of Parliament. These two spent vast amounts of time together, much more than Nancy did with her husband, Waldorf, who she didn't care to be around. Nice. Waldorf was a Mason, and that mentioned early, who helped lead the PEP after Nancy Astor was elected, or possibly selected, by the elites to be the First Lady, um... What was it, uh... Member of Parliament... One of the Russell's ladies soon afterward became a member of parliament also. Communism pretends it is the enemy of the rich capitalists, but both both the rich elites and communist leaders are committed to wipe out Christianity, to wipe out free trade with monopolies, and to set up Illuminati one-world government. Do you see they have similar goals? A picture is worth... (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm getting tired, guys. It's getting late for me. A <laughs> picture is included in the Waldorf and Nancy Astoria's, or Astor's visit to Russia during the 1930s. The Astors were not treated like enemies, but like royalty. Can we see how the elite's controlled press have deceived us? Do not trust our Illuminati-controlled elite to protect us from communism. They control communism. Besides socialism, Nancy Astor was a big supporter of Christian science. Christian science was a front for a rich witchcraft from its very beginning. Um, she began to um, use Granfell family papers. The Grenfell family were close friends to the Cliven Astors, David Astor, the Honorable attendee Bilderberg meetings in 1957 and 1966. Alpha Lodge is a lodge in England that is traditionally for royalty. And there are elite lodges too for those of the elite can protect themselves from rubbing shoulders for those of less social stature. These are a type of Masonic lodges that the Astros join. So in summary... An examination of the Astor family reveals their close connection with the full spectrum of Illuminati activities ranging from Freemasonry, the Illuminati itself, the Pilgrim Society, the Round Tables Communism, Fabian Socialist, the CFR, the RIIA, the Bilderbergs, as well as various political, uh, that is, Illuminati-tainted banks such as Chase, Alba Alice, um... Ava my phone is freaking blowing up Ava Alice Malure Astor was an occultist she was born in 1902 was pretty but also a very serious woman she was a very strong willed person that was able to dominate a person in her presence unless they were also strong willed she was into Egyptian magic and believed she was a Reincarnation of the Egyptian princes and was a disciple of Kanaton. Alice Astor may have been one of the first people to enter King Tut's tomb, where she got herself a necklace. <laughs> Aldous Aldus Huxley wrote a Brave New World as a picture of things that were to come. Most people think of the expose think of it as an expose but it was really more of a plan or blueprint. Aldous Huxley and Alice did a great deal of occult things together. Their financial power is unchecked. Myers and others have noted the Astors are above the law. The top 13 families don't obey the law. They are the law. The Asters may have Illuminati kings and princesses in their ranks. They may have dozens of billions in assets. Yet it'll be willing it, yet it will all or be nothing when they face the creator of judgment a couple side notes here <clears throat> so Aldous Huxley wrote a brave new world that author that book you ever heard of the movie demolition man okay main character Sandra Bullock right Huxley Was named after this author. A Brave New World, the book. Demolition Man was loosely based around that book. It's 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 crazy how they literally tell us what they're gonna do. Now, I've said this time and time again. It's a very slow bleed. As you can see. We're 2023. This has been I, I, I venture to say that, if you guys recall America <laughs> recall America like we're not still here for now, but it was called a new world. I almost wonder if America was supposed to be, you know, it was the great experiment, it was supposed to be the new world. And things got out of control to keep us from doing that again, from getting out of control. They want to subvert things like the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the things that this country was founded on because you had a couple of rebel rousers redictate After the Declaration and the Constitution, you started to see British Intelligence starting to get involved in American situations. The Illuminati. It's going to be a slow bleed. And, and you could sit there and say, oh, come on, Don. You know, here it is. You're talking 200 years or so later. Nothing's happened. N- nothing's going to happen like that. It just seems like everything's starting to come to a head. So will it be 200 more years? I don't know. Could it be two more years? I think we're getting to a point where they've done their time and they want to pay dividends. They want a result. But anyway. So, with that being said, guys, a couple things real quick I should have gotten to the beginning of the show. Please make sure you're following us on social media if you are on social media. We are at Don't Tread on America on Facebook, Instagram, and seventeen seventy five on the Twitter machine. And if you aren't on social media, that's fine. God bless you. Um, you can find us on the interweb at DontTreadOnAmerica.com. From there, you can subscribe and follow the show. It doesn't cost anything. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to inbox you with a bunch of crap. But you can get show updates and stuff there. And from there, you can find us on video uh, when I was doing YouTube. And, uh, Yeah. Also, whatever podcast app you're listening to, this on, guys, please subscribe to the show, follow the show. Whatever it doesn't cost you anything. I don't charge. I don't do Patreon. I don't do all that stuff. I'm actually looking into getting some some sponsorships here um, from my uh, distributor. Here, they're they're reaching out to do some stuff, so that's going to help out a little bit. So uh, if you start hearing some commercials other than this sexy uh, sultry voice, it'll. Because of getting some money to start paying the bills, which is great. It's not going to be a ton of money, but you know, like I said, I I don't expect you guys to have to pay for this. I'm just a dude with a full time job and a part time podcast. If I can make enough money to pay for the distribution and the and the stuff I have to do, then that'd be great. If not, you know, it's not that big of an expense, so it's not that big of a deal. So, anyway, with that being said, guys, it is um, not under tax. so don't worry. It's it's just an air show don't worry I'm not under attack they, they don't know where I'm at I'm in a bunker <laughs> it is April 2nd 2023 guys thank you for listening and continue to listen to these series I'm going to do one more while I'm still on vacation and put that out and then I should be back on Friday the 7th with a uh, up to date show of current events because I'm sure something's going to happen this week that I'm going to need to talk about All right, guys, you have a great day. Join us here again on Wednesday the, what's that, the 5th? Wednesday the 5th. And uh, you guys have a great day. Talk to you later.